Om Sam Saraswati Namaha Namaste. Namaste, everybody. Uh, first of all, I'd like to bring your attention to page 227, and it's verse uh, number 21 will start. Actually, we could start on verse number 20, and it says, uh, again, when the deities of her entourage are united, that's all of us, worship the principal goddess with sense, etc. That means if you have any sense, give it to her. <laughs> and if you only have nonsense, then hold it back. You don't have to gossip on, on the camera and, until it's time to begin the class. Excellent scented flowers and perfumes, food offerings and tarpana, a special offering of respect to the departed, beetle nuts and money or other objects of you, he should please me by reciting a sahasranam, a thousand names, a kavach, the armor of mantras, there's one for each major deity, and the Devi Shuktam, the hymn to, of the goddess from the Rig Veda, which begins, Aham Rudre Bikir. That's all it said. Sharu Bikir, Sharami Aham, and the Devi Tharvashishma, a mantra. And which are known as the Relake or the Rim Upanishad. So now that we've completed the text, we did the Navarna Mantra, and now we're going to begin with the study of the Rig Veda Tam Devi Shuktam. It's on page 249. And it says, Rig Veda Tam Devi Shuktam. And before we start this, I'd like to remind you of a story. One day, Narad Muni went to Vindhyachal, to the mountain Vindhya. And he said namaste to Vindhyachal. And he said, Vindhya, what happened to you? You're, you have no luster, you have no uh, uh, gravity, you have no sh shine, you have no radiance, you have no respect. Everyone in the three worlds is going around Mount Meru. And you are just totally neglected. And Vinyatsal started to think, oh my gosh, everyone is honoring and respecting, circumambulating Mount Meru, and they're disrespecting me. What should I do? And Narad said, well, why don't you worship Lord Shiva? So Vindhya started to say, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. And he started the job of Om Namah Shivaya. And after some time, Shiva came. And he said, Vindhya, oh, what, what do you want? You've been saying my name for so long, what do you want? He said, Vindhya gave the reply, everyone is paying so much respect to Mount Meru and they're all neglecting me. I want to be bigger and taller than Mount Meru. And Shiva said, well, how big do you want to get? And Vindhya said, I want to get as big as I can get. And Shiva said, well, what would you want that for? <laughs> Why aren't you content with the size that you are right now? And Vindhya said, well, nobody respects me. They all respect Mount Meru. Mm -hmm. All the planets, the sun, all the, everybody's going in round Mount Meru. 
them to respect me, and Shiva said, Tathastu, I give you the boon. And Vinya began to grow. And he got taller and taller and taller. And sure enough, he got so tall that the son was coming along in his chariot. And he said, whoa! And he stopped his chariot. He said, well, what is that my way? I was going around Mount Meru and here's the, all of a sudden Vidya's in the way and I can't go past him. He's too tall. Vidya, would you please lower yourself? No. You have to go around me. Surya said, Vidya, that's not my nature. That's not my path. Everyone prescribed for me this path, and I, I can't go around you. I have to go on this path so I can go around Mount Meru. Binya said, I'm not moving until everyone goes around me and proclaims me the tallest of all the mountains. The sun was stuck, and down below it started to get hot. And on the other side of the world, it started to get cold. And the gods said, what's going on here? Nobody's making yagya. What are we going to eat? Nobody's making sacrifice. Who's going to feed the gods? And all the gods went to Brahma, and they said, Brahma, look at Vindya over there. He's so tall, he stopped the sun, and now the sun can't go forward, and everybody is, is stuck where they are. Time stopped. Now you've got to find a way to make Vindya a little smaller so Surya can go around the world, and can, he can circumambulate Mount Meru, and we go all the, the day, the time, all the everything starts again. All the car, and meanwhile, it's getting hot down below. It's getting really hot, and on the other side, everybody. Why? Why isn't it morning yet? Why doesn't Why doesn't the sun come? This is the longest night we've ever experienced. Brahma said, I, this is beyond my capacity. Chalo, let's go to Vishnu. Uh, they all went to Vishnu and they sang this beautiful hymn of praise to Lord Vishnu. And they said, Vishnu, we have a problem. Vindya has become so big that the sun can't go around him. Time has stopped. Creation has stopped. No one is making yajna. No one did puja. Nobody made offerings to the gods. The gods are getting hungry. We're weak and we're tired and we're losing weight. And it's like Jenny Craig moved to heaven. In some way, you've got to help us, Vishnu, figure out a way to humble Vindya. And Vishnu thought for a moment and he said, this was Shiva's boon to Vindya. Let's go ask Shiva. So they all went to Shiva, the Brahmins and Brahma and Vishnu and all the gods, and they all went to, to Kailash and they sang a beautiful hymn to Shiva. And they said, Shiva, Vindya has become so big that the sun cannot pass. Time has stood still. 
Creation is stopping. People down below are sweltering in the heat. Other people are freezing in the cold. Nobody's waking up to do the puja. What's the solution? And Shiva said, in Benares is one devotee of mine, August Jambuni. He lives in a small cave on the side of the Ganga in Benares, and he's been doing tapasya there. Go to Benares and ask Agastya Muni for a solution to this problem. What kind of instruction is this? We came to Devadi Dev, Mahadev, the Lord of all the Lords, the Supreme God of all the gods, and he's telling us to go see some Rishi in Benares? Yeah. So Brahma and Vishnu and all the gods and all the Brahmins and all the Rishis, they all went to Benares. And they all stood outside of Augusta Muni's cave, and they, with folded hands, they sang a great hymn of praise and said, Augusta, Agama, Stapanam, Asya, Iti Augusta, you are Kumbaja. Remember in Lolita Trishati, they called him Kumbaja. He came out of the Kumb. Uh, the, uh, out of the, uh, there's two meanings to Kumb. It could be the Hauenkund, or the container for the fire, or it could be the Koilash, or the gut. He's born out of a jar. Uh, and he, Agam Stapanam. Agamam Stapanam Iti Agascha. That is, he, he was established as soon as he came. Just like remember Vedas, he took birth on the island, and as soon as he came out of the womb, he started growing, 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 and then he turned to his mother, uh, uh, Satyavati, Matsyaganda, and he said to Matsyaganda, thank you, mother, for being the, the vehicle of my entry into this world. Namaste, I'm going off to translate the Vedas. In the same way, he was, Agastya came out of the kumbh and out of the jar or out of the fire and he was established as soon as he arrived. And he said, Brahma, Vishnu, Indra, Adi, Devta, all the rishis, all the brahmins have come to my door. What can I possibly do to serve you? How I'm a poor Rishi, I'm a sadhu living in a cave. What could I do to give, what could I, how can I do service to you? And Brahma Pramukh, Brahma was first and foremost, he said and explained. Vindhya has become so big that the sun can't pass. And the sun is stuck waiting for Vindhya to be humbled. Now all the gods came to Brahma and asked me for a solution. I didn't know what to do. So I came to Vishnu. And with all the gods and rishis and all the, the Brahmins, we all came to Vishnu. And he said, Duh, I don't know either. Let's go to Shiva. And we all went to Shiva. 
And we said, Shiva, what should we do? And Shiva said, go see August Jamuni in Benares. So Rishiji, we have come to your door seeking a solution to this problem. Augusta said, it is my privilege to serve the gods and to serve the creation. And I will certainly find a solution how to resolve this present difficulty. Augusta bowed down to the gods and then he bowed down to all the temples of Benares. And he bowed down to Ganga, and he picked up his asan and his blanket and his, uh, uh, his uh, yagya staff. And he started walking. And he walked through the forest, and then he came to Vindhya. And Vinyachal said, Agastya Muni, you have come to give me darshan. You came to my house. What can I possibly do to demonstrate to you the sense of privilege that I have in being able to host and do seva to the great Agastya Muni? And Agastya said, Bindya, I have taken a sankalpa to perform puja in the south of India. And I'm in the process of going there right now. I'm on Yatra. I'm going to the Tirthasthan in visiting all the places of pilgrimage in the south where I will be making puja and yagya and praying for the welfare and the benefit of you and your families and all the rest of the world. Bindya said, that is a very commendable sankalp. How can I assist you? And Augustia said, Bindya, you, you see, you've grown very, very large. And I don't think I could cross you. You've grown so big. Could you please just bow down for a little bit and let me pass? And Bindya said, I certainly can. And Bindya bowed down. And Augusta climbed over the mountain. And he walked to the other side and he said, Oh, Vinya, please don't get up until I come back. And Vinya said, That's fine. I, I promise I won't get up until you come back. So Augusta proceeded to the south of India. And he made his ashram near to Sri Salem. And uh, that's where he started to do tapasya. Surya, the sun, was able to pass. And all the creation started again. And time went on again. Augustia had many names. He was called Kumbhacha, who is born from the Kumb, or from the Kailash, from the God. Uh, he was also called Ambrin. Ambrin means the powerful one. He 
humbled the pride of Vindhyacha. Vindhya actually means uh, the, the mountains of knowledge, but Satya Vidya Binoy Dadati. True knowledge confers humility. So Vindhya had to bow. Even though he was so great and so big, he had to bow to the, the, the radiance and the power of the truth of Agastya. Agastya married Lopamudra. And together they gave birth to a daughter named Bak Ambrini. And Bach went to do tapasya. And she meditated upon Brahma. And she became a Brahmagyani. She became so filled with the knowledge of Brahma that aham brahmashmi. And in that context, she sang this hymn from the Rig Veda. It's the 129th hymn of the 10th mandala of the Rig Veda. And it's the Vedic praise of the goddess. Remember, the Chandipat begins with the Vedic praise of the night of duality. And it actually ends with the Vedic praise of the goddess of unity. And the 700 verses in between assist in making the journey from duality to unity. And Bach Amrin, she realized the unity. And this is her hymn. And now we're on page 249, the Rig Vedotam Devi the Vedic praise of the goddess. And she says, I travel with the relievers of suffering. Actually, the Rudras, Asru Trayate, who take away the tears, uh, with the finders of the wealth, with the sons of enlightenment, as also with all the gods. I, wherever the gods go, I go too. In fact, uh, I, I go with them. There's no place wherever they stay, I'm there. I, I live with the gods. I travel with the gods. I'm amongst the gods, one amongst the many. I hold the law of friendship and equanimity, the rule of the pure, the light of meditation, and the divine urge to union. They, they are all supported by me. All the gods, individually and collectively, the sons of Aditi, the Adityas, or uh, uh, the, 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 they're called Adityas, they're the members of the family of non-duality. I am Bach, I am the vibration which permeates all the unity of all the divinity and they are all supported by my vibration. And the divine urge to unite is also supported by me. That comes, that's part of the divine manifestation is something inside us says, hey, I'm not content being me. I've got to be something greater than this little ego striving in this world of egos. I want to become something more. I've got this 
divine urge to become better than I was. Aristotle called it entelechy. Uh, that was the Greek term for this, this compelling necessity to evolve into something greater. In the Panchkanchukas, we have Raga. And that means uh, there's this activity that is necessary, incumbent upon us, that we do expand ourselves and become something greater than we are today. We must continue to grow. I perform the functions of great devotion, creative intelligence, searchers for truth and the wealth of realization. I give the wealth to the sacrificer who presses out the offering of devotion with attention. Now, they, they are talking about, we often talked about uh, pressing out the, the somras, and uh, uh, we, we have uh, in, in Bengal, we have a seal and a nara, uh, which is a pressing stone, and you take the soma and you press it and you squeeze out the juice. You, it's like a mortar and pestle, and you squeeze out all the juice and you refine the, the, the uh, byproduct. You make it into a paste, almost into a butter, and you squeeze out the offering of devotion, and that's just what we do with our pranayam when we are reciting the mantra. Ring. Offering of devotion just by uh, 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 we are uh, constricting our solar plexus and pushing out and pressing out and refining and, and, and grinding to purification that offering of devotion with attention. I am the queen. The united mind of the guardians of the treasure. The supreme consciousness of those who are offered sacrifice. Well, I'm not only in the sacrificer, Brahma Arpanam, Brahma Halbir. Brahma Ognam, Brahma Kutam, Brahma is also in the fire and the recipient of the offering as well. I'm the queen, the united mind of those who are the guardians of the treasure. They are, they, they've got the treasure, the wealth of realization, the light, the illumination, the wealth of realization, and they guard that treasure. They are the supreme consciousness of those who are offered sacrifice. That's the supreme consciousness beyond the form of the gods beyond the recipients of those who are offered the sacrifice. The yajna, with whom I unite. And thus, the gods have established me in the manifold existence, the all-pervading soul of the abundant being. So the gods, they see me, they perceive me in every form, in the abundant existence, in the manifold existence. And I reside as the all-pervading soul of the abundant being. I, I'm the soul of all. I'm the vibration within all. 
I am the every spandana, every vibration, every movement, every all the friction, all the vibration that comes from within, every manifested particle of existence. That's my body. That's where I am. This is her religion, uh, realization that she is the queen. The united mind of the guardians of the treasure. You are the Rishi. <laughs> Mama just said, through me alone all eat. Without me, there's no food. <laughs> all see, there's no perception. All breathe, there's no prana. All hear, there are no vibrations. They know me not, but yet they dwell beside me. Even they don't know me as Bach. They're living through me. They eat through me. They breathe through me. They see through me. They hear from me, through me. They forget about me and get so much engrossed, engaged in the Maya of all that they're seeing and all that they're doing uh, that they forget that they live with me. Uh, hear from me the truth of faith as I speak to you. Only I, myself, of my own volition, speak that which is this, which is loved by gods and men. So of my own volition, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, my own desire. You can't make me tell you. You can't make me tell you the secret. But when you love me the right way, <laughs> with the right intensity, with the right bhavana, with the right commitment, with the right sincerity, then of my own volition, I'm going to tell you this, which is going to make you a lover. Whosoever I love, I give him strength. I make him a knower of divinity, a seer, one of loving intellect. If you can make her love you, she's going to make you a lover. If you can earn her grace, creep up, do and get. If you can earn her grace, she'll make you a lover of her own volition. I... The preserving energy, I bend the bow for the reliever of suffering, to slay the enemies of creative consciousness by the arrows of speech. Take aim with your sankalpa, pay attention to your luxury, to your goal, and use the mantras as the arrows to slay the enemies of creative consciousness, which give birth to that new creation, that new perception, that new way of seeing and being in this world. I give the people zealous fervor. We all become zealots. <laughs> I give the people zealous fervor. I pervade throughout heaven and earth. There's a degree of sincerity in what they do. There's a commitment in what they do. There is an intensity of what they do. They are not dispassionate. They become very passionate. 
passionate lovers of God. I pervade throughout heaven and earth. I give birth to the supreme father of this all. Everyone takes birth from mom. Even the supreme father of all. My creative energy is in the waters of the inner ocean. Look inside. You'll see inside that ocean that my creative energy permeates all the water within the ocean. From thence I extend through all the worlds of the universe and touch the summit of heaven with my greatness. She's pretty big. This lady gets around. Remember in chapter 2, her feet covered the earth and her top of her crown extended to the highest reaches of the atmosphere. She touches the summit of heaven with her greatness. I blow intensely all beings of the universe like the wind. Beyond the heavens and beyond the earth, to such an extent has my greatness altogether extended. This was the realization of Amrindabhak, who was a rishi just like Nandama. Uh, she became one with all vibrations. She became the powerful, the daughter of the powerful one who pervades heaven and earth, who pervades every vibration. She's in the inner ocean. She's outside. She is everywhere traveling wherever the gods will go. There she is. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha Namaste. Let's see if there are any questions about the Devi Shuktam. What does that last line mean that she blows all beings intensely like the wind? The wind is a symbol of emancipation. And the, nobody directs the wind. Uh, we can see that, where is it, in Oklahoma right now. And we saw it a couple of months ago in, uh, in New York and New Jersey. And I mean, the wind blows. And nobody says, don't blow. They say, you blew it. There's no way to check the wind. And the wind is the symbol of emancipation. The wind, the, 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 the gentle breeze of the wind will blow away the Himalayas. <laughs> so that, that's what it means. She blows all, she's in the wind. She's totally emancipated. She floats in the wind. She's in the waters. She's, she's with all the gods, with all the nature, beyond the heavens, beyond the earth. How how to such an extent has my greatness become? Oh, that's the intention. Are there other questions, please? Swamiji, you talked about kripa. Yes. Being to do and then to get. Yes. But sometimes what we do and what we get don't always match up. Then you have to do it a little more efficiently, with a little greater attentiveness, with a little more bhavana, with a greater devotion, a greater intensity, and then you can hope to get. And sing. And sing. <laughs> yes, please. The uh, the Ashwins are defined as the, the urge to union. Yes. There's two Ashwins. Um, what what do they represent as the two 
the horses elements of the horses that are always going back to their home they're always going back to the barn the barn sour horses and they always want to take everyone back home with them they're the divine urge to to union uh, uh, do you know outside Jagannath Puri temple uh, there's a, an elephant there's a lion there's a horse and uh, there's a a, a, um, a turtle, a kurmadeep. And it doesn't mean that we're just animal worshippers. Uh, each one of them has a significance in the evolution of our human consciousness. And the horses re represent the, that divine urge to union, to wholeness, to health, to wellness, and, and good being. Uh, so that's what the Ashwin twins represent. Please. We have a question from Srini. Namaste, Srini Baba. Namaste to your wife, Ms. Rami, too. How do we recognize and make the best use of our creative energy? Oh. <laughs> Srini Baba, she has given each of us propensities, tendencies. Sanskaras, a, a, a design to implement our creative energy and demonstrate it in a certain way. Some of us will demonstrate it through writing, and some of us through art, and some of us through creative business solutions, and some of us through cooking, some of us through singing, and some of us through literature, and some, every one of us has a propensity to manifest her talents and her gifts in our own ways. So I don't think uh, there is one definition of how we go about uh, manifesting our creative consciousness. It, it, there's not a one-size-fits-all. One of us will become an Einstein and the other will become a dummy. <laughs> one of us will become a a scholar and the other one will be a singer and someone will be an artist and every one of us will manifest our creativity in, our, in the ways that she empowered us. Some of us will say, oh, she didn't give me any talents at all, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do nothing. And others will say, well, gosh, you know, I can do a lot. So in various ways she has made her, her energy manifest and she gives us an inspiration, she gives us information and we have a tendency to move in a certain direction and that direction will define how does our creative consciousness illuminate our creation. What do we create with the gifts that she has given? Yes, please. In your story, all the gods wouldn't ask Augustia for help. So, are the Moonies even more powerful than the gods? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the gods get their empowerment from drinking the nectar of immortal delight, which is offered by the Moonies. The nectar of devotion is offered by the Moonies. So the Moonies and Rishis are empowering the gods. Now, who's the greater? <laughs> who gives the empowerment or who is dependent upon being empowered by another? 
obviously, the giver is greatest. So Jesus said it so nicely, let the greatest amongst you be the servant. So, yes, the rishis have even greater powers than the gods. Yes, please. In verse 5, yes. Whosoever I love, I give him strength, make him a knower of divinity, a seer, one of loving intellect. Doesn't mother love us all? She does, but do, how many of us love her? And when it's a real love affair, it's mutual. And if it's not mutual, then you say, well, I'm sitting around waiting to become the beloved. Why isn't it, I don't, why is it that I don't feel her love? But if I love her, and she loves me all the time. And there she, by, she empowers us to become her lover, to become her rishi to become her seer, to become her one of loving intellect, uh, one of great strength. I'm bringing Yes, please. We have a question from Sadhana Shakti. Namaste, Sadhana Shakti. Dearest Swami and Ma, when we talk about Mother blowing everything around, does this mean our thoughts too? Well, she does blow it all. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we really blow it too. <laughs> but yes, she does. She blows it, she moves it, she makes it. She is the prime mover, unmoved. She makes it move and she makes it go and she makes it, 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 it. Sometimes she scrambles it up for us and mixes it up. And sometimes she thrusts us into the whirlpool of, of thought and chaos. And sometimes she gives us peace, tranquility, uh, uh, firm vision of what the goal is and what the path is and what am I supposed to do next. So yes, she moves it all. She's the energy of all in everything and she moves it all. And the more we recognize that is she is the Aimrim Kling Cha Mundai Vice. She is the, the, the essence of evolution then we cease to be attached to the outcomes of our actions and we leave our hankering for the fruits of our actions. All I want to do is to serve you with the greatest love and efficiency and gentility and appreciation I possibly can. That's all. That's my goal. And if I can bring about the right outcome, wonderful. And if I can't, man proposes and God disposes. We have a question from Ambika. Namaste, Ambika. In verse 6, can you tell us more about the arrows of speech and how to be sure the words that come out of our mouth are always empowering those around us? Thank you. Oh, with great discrimination. Uh, Ambika, we need to use this criteria of what we want to accomplish in this dialogue, in this, in every relationship. What do I want to get from this dialogue? Do I want to assert my authority and be correct? Or do I want to make a harmony and a unity and be a compromiser? Am I looking to find fault with others or place blame so that I'm not the, I'm not the guilty party? 
Or am I looking just to build bridges and get the job done so we can move on to the next thing? Oh, we have to look at our, our basic uh, objectives and use that as criteria to discriminate. How do I want to tell what I'm going to tell? What am I going to tell that will empower my friends, my family, my associates to work together and do a better job? And, and, and all of us will reach our goals with greater efficiency. If I use that criteria by which to discriminate what is going to happen in our dialogue, then I'll bet we'll have a lot less disagreement and we'll have a lot greater focus and we'll all feel empowered by our relationships rather than using, using these relationships to put others down or to assert my authority or any other malevolent intent. You should remember her name. <laughs> Mom says you should remember your name, Ambika. <laughs> You're the mother! <laughs> yes, please. Why did it take the, uh, the Muni Augustia to humble Vindhya? When the sun represents the light of wisdom, as you say, why wouldn't he be humbled by that? Well, he was not. Uh, when he saw the light of wisdom approaching him, he said, well, I am all the knowledge. So you can't have wisdom without knowledge. You need the knowledge in order to have the wisdom. I'm not moving out of your way because you tell me. Uh, you have to find some greater reason. Uh, and the son said, would you please get out of my way? And Agastya Muni said, just lower yourself for a few moments until I come back. Yes, please. Why is the Upasamhara Mudra chanted, I mean, used in this particular? Because Upasamhara means everybody come near, everybody come close, everybody assemble. So here I am, the vibration of all and everything, and I just realize that I'm telling you all that I'm traveling with you wherever you go. And that's why we use the Upasanghar Mudra. Everybody assemble and recognize and remember, hey, we're all in this together. You're not going to be a god without vibrations. <laughs> You're not going to be a Deva or a Devi without intensity. You've got to have passion in your, in your functions. So everybody assemble and let's get together and, and get a little closer and understanding each other. We're all in this together. Upasamba. Upasamba is surrender? No, it is not surrender. <laughs> it just looks that way. <laughs> it's surrender a little bit because I give up my little ego to the greater benefit of our community. <laughs> Reach for a piece of the stars. <laughs> and they meant it. <laughs> yes, please. We have a question from Elijah. Namaste, Elijah Baba. In verse 5, it says, loving intellect. How can I have that loving intellect, that quality of love? Well, Elijah, in Sanskrit, we've got a lot of fun terms. Uh, there's sundar, which is beautiful. 
And there's Kanti, which is even more beautiful because of my relationship, my love. There's Buddhi, which is intellectual. And there's Medha, which is the intellect of love. And that means because I, I, I know what I'm talking about and I'm in love with it, it's even more knowledgeable to me. I feel more content. I feel more con, 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 empowered by that knowledge because of my love. It's, there's not, it's not an article of faith. It's not enough. I mean, this is a proven tatwa to me. This is a proven principle. So there's no doubt in my mind. I speak with conviction. I speak from my heart. I don't have to look at the book to say, I, I, I love you. No, I open up my heart, and you can see the love in my heart, and that's medas, the intellect of love, as opposed or contrasted with buddhi, which is the intellect. So you remember in our story about Tara, she got tired of hanging out with those intellects, those intellectuals, that, that Brihaspatis, he was just full of buddhi. He didn't have any ras in his buddhi. You gotta have a little juice. You can't just tell it like it is, you gotta tell it like it feels. You gotta explain what it feels like, not just what it. Uh, uh, well, this is the intellectual meaning of this sentence. No, you've got to explain the juice, what the nectar tastes like, and that's medas. Like you. No, no, no that's. Yes, please. In the Tattva Gyan, we talk about manas and buddhi and how we kind of want to let go of manas in order to get the realization and because the buddhi is, is a, it will lead us to that realization and the manas is kind of, as you said, like the, the, the stuff that we want to kind of let go of. How, how does, maybe that, I'm putting words in your mouth there. <laughs> but you did say something along the lines of buddhi, buddhi, buddhi leads us to the realization and manas is just thoughts that, that, uh, that we want to, okay, maybe not. <laughs> could, you, could you rephrase it? I'm glad we're in agreement. I'm glad we're in agreement that I'm not really quoting you, but I'd like to, I would like it if you said that. So therefore you could clear it up, clear, clear it up for me. Yeah. The antakaran, the inner cause, is comprised of mon, which is all the adverbs and adjectives of experience, the description about what it's about. Buddhi are the nouns and verbs that is objective thought as compared with subjective thought. So buddhi is what it is and Mon is what I think it to be. Both are stored in the chitta, which is the, the, uh, the, the, the buddhi plus mon equals chitta, if you like it in mathematical terms. Otherwise, you could say the nouns and verbs plus the adjectives and adverbs make sentences, <laughs> if you put it in grammatical terms. Or you could say, You've got objective thought and subjective thought, and they're all combined in the storehouse of knowledge. And the storehouse of knowledge is 
perceived by me. <laughs> it's my storehouse of knowledge. I have the key. Cogito ergo sum. I think, and therefore I am. Now, I don't want to get rid of all the mon. I want to get rid of the whole chit. I don't want any thoughts. I want to be beyond duality. I want to be beyond the ego. I don't want to think my way into a love affair. I want to be in love. I want that pure intuitive experience of love. That's not, I think I'm going to be in love now. That's a little bit different from I am in love. Or I am love. So it, the idea is not to get rid of the mind. Not to get rid of the buddhi. Not to get rid of... The idea is to get rid of the yaham. And in doing that, you get rid of the chitta. So you get rid of buddhi and mind. Or they all come into the harmony. They all come into balance. So that would be a little closer to the explanation I would like you to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. We have a question from Kali Ananda. Namaste, Kali Ananda. Beloved Mom, beloved Swami, namaste. Can you expand on verse seven? My creative energy is in the inner waters. Uh, is in the waters of the inner ocean. Thank you. Yes. Where does your creativity come from? It comes from within. Uh, I'm just thinking of the, 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 the man who went to a Buddhist vendor and said, I, I gave him one dollar, and the guy said, uh, thank you very much. And the, the, the customer said, where's my change? And the, the vendor said, change will come from within. <laughs> so, in the same way, this creative energy comes from within. It's in this inner ocean. This inner ocean of purity, of the ocean of consciousness, the ocean of clarity, the ocean of inspiration, which compels you to create because you're in love. You're in love and you got to write a poem. You're in love and you got to sing a song. You're in love and you want to do puja and me together push me. And you put the and draw a map with your flowers. I'm in love and therefore I am doing this. You're in love and therefore you write a book. You're in love and therefore you create what you create because it's a labor of love. And that's the creative process. So her Creative energy is in the waters of the inner ocean. She's coming, she comes from within. These, these waves of love demand, they compel us to express that love. They compel us. There's a compelling necessity to act like a lover. And with that compelling necessity, we find all of those, all that creative energy within. And these are the, the inner, the waters of the inner ocean. We have a question from Joshua. Namaste, Joshua. Could you explain the disciple and guru in the relationship of the two with God? Is the guru the highest ideal to be worshipped? And if so, how does the form of God fall into this? 
Well, let's let's start from the beginning and say there's the the formless God. And then there's the form of God. And then there's the guru. And then there's a disciple. So the ultimate goal is to become one with the formless God who is infinite beyond conception. We just call him And that OM stands for the infinite beyond conception. I can't conceive infinity. Every time I try, I put a boundary there, get someplace I can't go any further, and I'll draw a line, and then I have to ask the question, what's on the other side of the line? What's on the other side of the boundary? So I keep going infinitely in this ad infinitum retrogression, which we had in chapter 4, and we said it's a logical fallacy. I just can't conceive. I can only intuit and experience it becomes a priori knowledge. I feel it. There's no way I can experience it. I, can, I, I, can, I can't intellectualize it. I can't conceive it. I can only illuminate it and know it through intuition. This is the form of the formless God. Now this formless God took form. And we call it Bindu. The first dot. The first something that said, I have a form which is different from the formless. If you have this infinite plane of space, you put one dot there. Now you have measurements. The great measurement of consciousness, Mahamaya. What's in front of the dot? What's above the dot? What's behind the dot? What's below the dot? What supports the dot? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it just, now we have something to talk about. There's a dot there. Who put that dot in the infinity of empty space? The prime mover unmoved. <laughs> you gotta have a first cause. Whatever you wanna call it, we call it God. The God who became manifest. And we say that dot became Shiva or Kali or Durga or Chandi or Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh or the one became two. And the Shiva became, became Shakti and the consciousness became energy and now we have a, an instrumental cause and a material cause for the existence and the two became three, the Kamakala, and the three became four, and we had Chatur Barga, and the four became five, and etc., etc., etc. And the five became the Guru. And the Gu was the darkness, and the Ru was the light, and the Guru became the light in our darkness. And she said to all of us, Hey, look at what I'm doing. Take what's appropriate, employ it in your own sadhana, in your own lives, and then look at the bhavana with which I do it, and look at the attitude with which I do it, look at the efficiency with which I do it, and look at the, the, uh, the, the accomplishment of what I do, the fulfillment of it, and if you like, you can do the same. 
in your own ways, in your own lives, and find the same thing that I find. So then we look at the guru. What does she do? She gets up in the morning and she sits in front of the god with form. And she gives him flowers and sings mantras. And she does job and meditation. And she spends her lifetime with Shiva. And if, because she does that, and she has done that for so many years and years and years, she has become illuminated. She's a, she's a Devi because she's illuminated with light. And then we come along as disciples and say, I want to be shish to the guru. I want to be a mirror, a reflected image of that image of purity and clarity and sincerity. I want to live my life according to the principles with which she lives her life. And then I make myself into a carbon copy. I'm a Xerox in my own way, maybe twice the weight of her, maybe twice the size of her, maybe half the intellect of her, maybe a quarter of the devotion of her, but in some way I try to mold my behavior into a replica of what her behavior is with her form of divinity. I try to do something similar in my relationship with my form of divinity. And then that carries through to all the other things I do. The way she cooks is the way I type on my computer. The way she organizes her life is the way I organize my office space. The way she organizes her relationships with devotees and spends her time and so generously giving of herself. I try to do something similar in my life. At least I can write emails. At least I can work on the website or post on Facebook. I can do something to say, I want to do it as efficiently and effectively as you do, with the same intensity, with the same bhavana, with the same graciousness. And then I make myself into a reflection of the example. And she has made herself into the reflection of her example, which is the murti that doesn't move. And that murti is a representative of the bindu, the one spark, the point, the dot, the, the first cause of creation, the first thing that came into manifested existence. And that bindu is the representative of the form of the formless divinity. So that's the progression. We become devotees, we become bhaktas, we make ourselves into shishas, into disciples, into reflections of the purity and clarity which our guru, our example, represents to us. The guru takes us to the higher guru, which is the murti on the altar, and the murti on the altar takes us to the bindu, and the bindu takes us to the form of the formless divinity. Josh, that's how it works. Now you love. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha. Namaste.